Many of you, or most of you know, we had a rough couple of weeks, and it's very good to be back at satsang. A week without satsang is a terrible week. It's always good to have satsang. And so it's great, uh, as, uh, as you probably heard, we had quite a few cases of COVID right in the ashram, seven cases, in fact. Uh, but it was all handled very beautifully, and it didn't spread too much. We had other cases outside in the, in the water community, in the householders also, but uh, there were none uh, serious, really serious or life-threatening. Of course, they were not pleasant, but, um, and now almost everybody is uh, uh, testing negative. A few who aren't, that's why you don't see them here tonight, but they're watching. I want to say hello to you, and I know that you're going to get really well, and next week we'll be back here. And Devi Ma is not well, but not because of COVID. She has some other infection, and she'll be back next week. So, <clears throat> welcome. And um, as uh, Swami Turiananda said, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that this happened during what we call Lineage Week, the special week in early August that encompasses these two events in our lineage. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, August 15th was the, the day of Baba's initiation, August 15th, 1947, which was also uh, the day that India received its independence or attained its independence. So uh, one man was liberated and the whole country was liberated on that same day. Uh, so. Uh, we're going to do a little special uh, chant right now, the Guru Stotram, which is selected verses, about 13 verses from the Guru Gita. And we'll chant that and then uh, we'll go on with the rest of the program. So let's do that now.
Baba, Baba always uh, began his programs by saying in Hindi, With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And it was always in that spirit that he did all programs and he did his yoga to welcome other people with love. He emphasized the welcome because within every person, there dwells the divine spirit, the divine spark. And to honor that was, he would say, was his worship. He didn't care about uh, abstract deities in seventh heaven because there were deities walking around right on this earth filled with divinity and those were other people. And so that was his worship, he used to say. So today, let's see. So this is uh, Baba's favorite picture of Bhagwan Nityananda. And later he fashioned the statue, the murti, that they have in the ashram in Ganeshpuri, where I, I did uh, sadhana for those years in the early 70s. And uh, I was there when the murti came, and it was quite excitement. And uh, soon after, uh, the the murti for the in the temple in the uh, uh, in the village came. They all came during the, the the short period, about a year period when I was there. So this was the model for that one. Bhagwan sitting in a meditative posture. Next, 
And there's a picture of Baba. We used to call this the Shaktipat photo. Thousands around the world got Shaktipat from this, this photo. With, and for tonight, for the Diva Dixit Inn, it's a perfect one. And then uh, the two together. <clears throat> you see Bhagwan is lying uh, on his, uh, his cot in uh, Kailas Nivas. You can see that very place now. And Baba in a typically reverential attitude towards him. Okay. So I've picked a few things relevant to tonight. Uh, <clears throat> the first one, I think, uh, I think it had to do with the, when the statue of Bhagavan Nityananda came to the Ganesh Ashram, and that was in uh, it was Baba's birthday in 1971. So <clears throat> it was fashioned by a professor Manjukar from Bombay, and he did a very good likeness of, uh, of Bhagavan Nityananda. And Baba said on that occasion, before India attained freedom, there were many independent princely states. When I was young, I roamed from one place to another and met a number of these rulers, and I still know some of them. But everything changes. The wheels of destiny are constantly turning. Almost all those kings passed away, and even their statues have been demolished. However, the statue of my guru, my Baba, will last forever. <laughs> so, uh, it reminded me of, uh, uh, you might have, in, in uh, your high school or university English class, uh, Ozymandias by Percy Shelley, about, uh, uh, in which he, Shelley, the poet, encounters a ruined statue in the desert. And there's a plaque that says, I, I'm Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on me and, you know, be fearful or something like that. And the irony is that it's all crumbled now. And the great monument of his greatness is all crumbled. So Baba says, uh, all the, all the uh, monuments of worldly success crumble, but the, the monument to the spirit lasts forever. He says, uh, it will last as long as the sun and the moon rise in the sky. No one can touch it. It will remain as it is. Baba says, I saw many presidents. I saw many ministers, but I've seen only one Nityananda. <clears throat> the famous men all change. Their reputations change, and they don't last. But people still bathe Nityananda and worship him. They drink the water of his feet. So remember this mantra, that the guru protects you from time, from fear, and from death. I'm extremely happy now because he told me to sit in Ganeshpur, and I sat there. I will sit there as long as this body lasts. His guru told him, he gave him a couple of rooms in where the ashram is, and he says, you stay there. And that's what Baba did. He says, it's very difficult to talk about my guru because he was a really great being. His behavior, his manner, and his discipline are beyond our understanding. He was a great and unique being. 
He was free from company. His fingers were always completely outstretched. He never folded them. You see the pictures of him, he's always like this. Whether that's from yoga or rheumatism, one doesn't know. But. <laughs> so anyway, this indicates that when he gave up something, he gave it up completely. He never got attached to it again. <clears throat> it's, a great, it's a great ability to let things go. We nurse negativity and hurts and anger and resentments and everything. We nurse them in our inner being and we brood about them and we give them life when the best thing we could do is just to let them go. And if we can let it go, then we experience that clear space of good feeling, which is the self. Then we become happy and peaceful. But we cling to it. We hold on to it. And so letting go, Bhagavan Nityananda is a symbol, a living symbol of detachment, of letting go. He wore only a loincloth. He didn't care about what happened. It all was fine with him. And he sat there completely ready for everything and also not invested in it. It's a great image of detachment. <clears throat> I sometimes meditate on Bhagwan Nityananda as perfect detachment. What, what the meaning of Bhagwan Nityananda is whatever comes, whatever goes, maybe good things, maybe bad things. Good things may come, bad things may come. Good things may go, bad things may go, but I am the self amid it all. I am consciousness, I am bliss. These things, the movement of all these things cannot affect me. This is what he stands for. Most of us are very far away from such a, a, a state, and yet that state exists within us. So he's a wonderful image for that. <clears throat> he goes on. Generally, he spoke very little. Occasionally, he spoke a lot. However, it was very hard to understand him. He was such an extraordinary being that though he knew the past, the present, and the future, he remained as though he did not know anything. If anyone went to him becoming very small and humble, he would also be very humble, and he would talk to that person and give him instructions. If anyone went to him as a great scholar or a rich person, or a person with power, he would close his eyes completely and turn inward and remain very quiet. He famously turned his bum to various uh, important government ministers. <laughs> he didn't care. <clears throat> in his vision, he saw no differences. He did not consider anyone an inferior person, a low person, an ignorant person, or an illiterate person. Also, he did not consider anyone to be pure, great, or very smart. He had equal vision. In his life, he didn't find anything that was good or bad. And for him, spirituality and worldly life were one and the same. Even if people asked him questions about their mundane life, he would answer those questions. He never felt that one should ask questions only from the scriptures only about spiritual matters. 
<clears throat> I once had, uh, because something Baba said, and it triggered an understanding, that to Bhagwan there was absolute equivalence. You can ask him about the weather, you could ask him about your business, or you could ask him about Vedanta, Shaivism. And it was all the same, because it was all just the unfolding play of consciousness to him. <clears throat> he was always in an intoxicated state. He got up every morning at 3 o'clock and went to take a bath in the hot springs. <clears throat> in the daytime, he would remain lying down, absorbed in his own self. And at night, he would talk to his devotees. He had very simple food, just dal and vegetables, a little rice, and sometimes coffee. He used to sit on a very plain bench. He would lie in a very simple bed, like we saw there. And finally, at the end, he was sleeping on just a thin mattress. People used to bring a lot of gifts to him. He never took any interest in them. However, the people around him made good use of those things. <laughs> Even though lots and lots of people went to see him, <clears throat> they would all become very quiet in his presence. If anyone tried to command or discipline his devotees, he never liked it. As people kept watching him, they would feel him inside themselves. They would feel knowledge arising within him. They did, not, they did not need to take courses. Even though his eyes were open, he never looked at other people. He liked to gaze inside, to gaze at his own inner self, and to become absorbed in his own inner self. He had the power of Shaktipat, of awakening, to an extraordinary degree, as you're going to hear in the next thing uh, I'm going to read. So in his presence, Without him giving a lecture or anything, you would feel divinity. You would feel upliftment. You would feel shakti, spiritual power. <clears throat> and this is not a fantasy. This is something absolutely palpable and real. He says, his eyes were always half open. He had a big belly because of the long inner retention of breath, or kumbhaka. His body was completely dark. He wore only a loincloth. He was so handsome that not only did young people and adults watch him, but even old people kept looking and looking at him. And he was. He was divinely beautiful because so much shakti and love was pouring out of him. <clears throat> Without talking, he gave instructions. Without giving the touch, he awakened the inner shakti. He did not have to hold question and answer sessions. Without speaking, he answered people's questions. It is very difficult to talk about such an extraordinary being. And Baba used to say, he didn't have to lecture like I do or do question and answer sessions. He just sat there and everything happened because Baba was being self-ironic. Because it was very similar around Baba. <clears throat> and so I picked this, uh, the second thing. Oh, I didn't even put my timer on. I guess we'll just have to do it, <clears throat> is um, possibly the most extraordinary chapter in a most extraordinary book called Chit Vilas, or Play of Consciousness, which is <clears throat> Baba's spiritual memoir. Because he knew one day I would write Ganesh Days, 
he decided to get in there first, and he wrote his spiritual memoir, which is quite a book. And the central chapter of his book is, to no one's surprise, the chapter in which he gets Shaktipat, or the initiation. Baba always spoke about Shaktipat as the most important thing uh, in yoga, and it was surprising to me because uh, I came to India looking for what I thought of as enlightenment or self-realization. And Baba hardly ever talked about that. He only talked about Shaktipat. And I think it was because his experience of Shaktipat was such a surprise and it blew his socks off completely and transformed him. And he thought that self-realization is just a footnote to Shaktipat. Once you have Shaktipat, self-realization will happen. But there's a catch, which I will talk to you about in a minute. <clears throat> so this is Baba talking about the time that he received Shaktipat from Bhagavan Nityananda. We're going back to 1947, August of 1947. Uh, Baba was now living uh, at the Vajrashwari Temple, about a couple of kilometers away. And he, would, he, he explains what he did, he'd visit uh, his guru every day and then go back and meditate. He, he talks about it. He says, in those days it was my practice to meditate on my guru. <clears throat> One evening I went to have darshan of Bhagwan Nityananda. After darshan he would always say to me, ask me, are you going now? But today, he said nothing, so I stayed on. And when Bhagavan Nityananda said, are you going now? It didn't mean, uh, no, I'm staying a while. <laughs> Baba interpreted that to be, I'm, you go. You know, that, and he would leave. But he didn't mention anything. So today, he stayed on, and I spent a very happy night in meditation on my guru. So where did this happen? This happened in the, where the Samadhi Shrine is now. Um, the building of the Samadhi Shrine is built on the site of Bhagwan Nityananda's old ashram called the Vaikuntha. And, uh, and so th this would have happened. He moved to Kailas, which is where his ashram is now, uh, in, in 1956 or something like that. And this happened in 47. So he was living in Vaikuntha, which is exactly where the, those of you have been to Ganeshpuri, where the, the Bhagwan's temple is now. <clears throat> um, he says, the morning that followed was the morning of August 15th, 1947. So, what an auspicious day, how full of nectar it was, how divine, what merit and great fortune it brought with it. It was the happiest and most auspicious day of my life. So that's what Baba thinks about the awakening. You know, I, I had a, a, a yearly message. What's the message for this year, by the way? Hmm? Curate, yes. Curate something, right? <laughs> Good. Uh, and uh, maybe the year before, I did Cherish Your Awakening. Is that right? And, and so the, the story of this holiday is Cherish your awakening. No one cherished his awakening more than Baba. He valued that moment. And the more you cherish the awakening, 
uh, the more you get from it. If you think it's, oh, that's a pleasant experience, uh, like uh, taking a drug or something, uh, you don't get much. But if you think this is life transforming and this is extraordinary and I should cultivate it and work with it, then everything is possible. And you'll see Baba is a model of that. <clears throat> so um, he says, happiest day of my life, the great day of many births and ages. It was truly holy, yes. Yes, it was the dawn of the most auspicious of all auspicious days. <clears throat> That's why we always celebrated what we used to call DDD, Divya Diksha Deen, the day of divine initiation. Divya is divine. <clears throat> the sun had risen slightly in the sky and the atmosphere was tranquil. I was standing in the corner to the east, contemplating my guru. So that's where the doorway is now, it's towards the east, if I'm right. <clears throat> and so he was standing by the doorway to the temple. In the opposite corner stood Monapa, Gurudev's cook. In the meditation hall, Gurudev was making little humming sounds in his throat, indicating he's about to get up from his meditation on the self. And a little while, he came out, after a little while. So he always had, sang kind of, hmm, hmm, hmm. <clears throat> he looked a little different than usual. In fact, I'd never seen him looking like this before. He had on a beautiful pair of wooden sandals. And as he walked to and fro, to and fro, he was smiling. At one point, he went into a corner and began to chant some secret mantras. Then he came in front of me and smiled again. He began to sing. He was wearing a white shawl and underneath it only a loincloth and the sandals on his feet. He kept coming and standing in front of me, making his familiar noise of endearment. Hmm, hmm. An hour passed like this. <laughs> then he came near me and we touched. I was stunned by this new wonder. I stood facing west, towards where the Murti is. Gurudev, his body close to mine, stood opposite. I opened my eyes and saw Gurudev staring directly at me, his eyes merging with mine in the Shambhavi Mudra. So the Shambhavi Mudra is a classical mudra where uh, the attention is all within. The eyes are open but the focus is on the self. It's also called the Bhairavi Mudra. So, so he was like that. My body became numb. I couldn't shut my eyes. I no longer had the power to open or close them. The divine splendor of his eyes completely stilled my own eyes. We stayed like this for a while. Then I heard the divine sound of Gurudev's hung. He stepped back a couple of paces and I partially regained consciousness. He said, take these sandals, put them on. Then he asked, you'll wear my sandals? I was amazed, but reverently replied firmly, Gurudev, these sandals are not to be worn by me. Babaji, they're for me to worship all my life. I'll spread my shawl and please be so gracious as to put your foot on it your feet on it, and give your sandals over. 
So now is he being disobedient to the guru? <laughs> and just knows what he has to do. Gurudev agreed, making the same humming sounds. He lifted his left foot and its sandal and placed it on the, on the edge of my outspread shawl. Then he put the foot down, raised his right foot, and placed the other sandal on the shawl. He stood directly in front of me. He looked into my eyes once more. I watched him very attentively. A ray of light was coming from his pupils and going right inside of me. Its touch was searing, red hot, and its brilliance dazzled my eyes like a high-powered bulb. As this ray flowed from Bhagwan Nityananda's eyes into my own, my very hair on my body rose in wonder, awe, ecstasy, and fear. I went on repeating his mantra, Guru Om, Guru Om, watching the colors of this ray. It was an unbroken stream of divine radiance. Sometimes it was the color of molten gold, sometimes saffron, sometimes a deep blue, more lustrous than a shining star. I stood there stunned, watching the brilliant rays passing into me. My body was completely motionless. Then Gurudev moved a little and again made his huh, huh. I became conscious again. I bowed my head on the sandals, wrapped them in the shawl, and prostrated myself on the ground. So this is the moment of his Shaktipat, where uh, Gurudev Nityananda is transmitting the energy, the kundalini energy, directly into Baba. And scripture says you can be awakened by look, by touch, uh, by thought. And so this was by look, just eye to eye contact. I got up full of joy. I spoke softly and tenderly. Gurudev, what a divine fortune this has been for me. I've received the greatest of all things. Please live in these sandals in all your fullness, and let me worship them, even though I don't know the correct way. As I said this, he went over to the west side of the hall <clears throat> and brought some flowers, two bananas, a few incense sticks, and a small packet of kumkum. He put all this on the sandals. I continued to repeat, Guru Om, Guru Om. Today I was standing very close to my Baba. He sat down. And in his aphoristic way, he started to speak. And we used to joke that this was the first uh, mantra talk. And the intensive, we used to have a talk called the mantra meditation talk, in which we explain mantra and the Chaitanya, the awakened mantra, the alive mantra comes direct from them, the gurus. So this is the pattern for all future talks about mantra. It's a typically Bhagavan Nityananda talk. <clears throat> he says, all mantras are one. All are om. Om Namah Shivaya. Om. Should be Shiva Oham. Shiva Shiva. Should be Shiva Oham. It should be repeated inside. Inside is much better than outside. That was his talk. <laughs> <clears throat> so it should be, so you could say Om Namah Shivaya with the, the idea Shiva Oham, identifying I am Shiva. 
I am the divine. The self is me. It's the identification. It's not to worship God as separate, but to worship God within yourself. And that's what he was saying. Making his hung sound, Babaji went into his room. Hung hung was a mantra signifying many different things. When he turned his head and made the sound, I would always leave. But this time he gave no sign, so I remained standing there. <clears throat> he came out from inside with a blue shawl in his hands and placed it over me. What a wonderful fortune. From early that morning, I'd received one blessing after another. Next, he went quickly over to the kitchen where Monapa was frying budgias of green bananas and putting them on a tray. Uh, so budgias are fried stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Wickedly delicious fried things. And uh, so they make these plantains, these bananas, one, one the potato budgias, cauliflower budgets, onion budgets, great stuff. <clears throat> but he's making these. Uh, and he's, uh, Bhagavan filled both his hands with these budgets and put them on my cloth with the sandals. Finally, uttering his ecstatic hum, he gave me the signal to leave. What a great and blessed day. What a sacred day it was. As I went outside, I began to praise my good fortune. Oh, what merit of mine has brought this to me? What great deeds have I done that their fruit should come to me today? I was completely overcome with wonder, for I never even thought that such a thing could happen to me. He didn't even know that such a thing as Shakti part of that nature existed. And there was more. Bhagwan would never look anyone face in the face. If he ever looked at anyone, he would look from side to side. <clears throat> but on this day, he had gazed into my eyes with his brown eyes wide open in Paramashiva's Shambhavi Mudra, as if he'd never seen me before. He had entered me with a divine ray full of chitti, consciousness, that grants all powers. As I watched, I felt it trembling in my body and tears in my eyes. Stunned, I had for a moment experienced stillness and great joy. And this way he gave me divine initiation. You see why I think this is the center of his book? And it's actually the center of everything Baba did. It's this experience. This day, my special deity, Paramashiva, whom they called Ashutosha, he who is easily pleased. Shiva's famous that way, doesn't he? He doesn't demand much, just a little bit, a little bit of attention. Think about him once in a while, he gives you a lot of grace. He's a good deity to have, especially for corrupt people like ourselves. <clears throat> so he, he blessed me with the greatest reward for my inadequate Monday fasts and the repetition of his name. Baba saying, my squeaky little sadhana. I barely did anything, I fasted on Monday I made a few repetitions of the mantra, and I got all these blessings. How did that happen? Well, that's called grace. There's no rhyme or reason for it. <clears throat> it was certainly in keeping with the epithet Ashutosha, one who never gives. When one, if one who never gives starts to give, then the recipient gets so much that it can take no more. This is what had happened to me. When Bhagavan 
Nityananda said, Shiva Ham, this is how it should be. This great supreme and radiant mantra of Parashiva destroyed the innumerable thoughts and feelings that have been rising in the space within my heart since time without end, making me wander through endless births and deaths. So in Baba's account, just hearing that mantra from him destroyed all his bad tendencies. He destroyed the endless array of impure feelings, the lust, the anger, the delusion arising from the notion of I and mine. He had transmitted into my heart that mighty mantra, which is entirely Shiva, filled with the light of consciousness, forever rising, forever an upward shift, always moving full of spanda, full of shakti, always moving upwards. Luminous, embodying the truth of I am perfect, the transcendent word of shakti in the flames of his grace. He had burned away the accumulated sins and karmic impressions of birth after birth. My mind was flooded with ancient memories, memories of similar worship done in past lives. Whew. So now he staggers out of the hall, intoxicated, uh, and it gets more. <clears throat> As I came out of the hall, my mind, which had earlier been completely still, motionless, and concentrated in the remembrance of my guru, now became active to the same degree. But there was none of the dryness, the frustration, the frivolity, the anguish, the depression, the stupidity, or the anxiety that had been there before in the rush of my thoughts. These weren't dry, stupid, self-serving, paranoid, idiotic thoughts. They're a different kind, inspired thinking now. <clears throat> As my thoughts sped past, I was full of high spirits, and I started to sing to myself. I slowly made my way homeward. So he's moving from where the temple is to the Dreshwari temple. And you can walk up the, the, the road and then make a left turn and go that way. Or you can go along the river. But he, in this case, he went up the road, past where the ashram is, and then made a left turn. You'll hear it. <clears throat> I slowly made my way homeward. Love for the guru and a feeling of oneness with him rose within me again and again. I began repeating, the guru is inside, the guru is outside. This is the way he used to meditate. He would, he would say the guru, not being just a person, but being divine consciousness, is everywhere. And so he would contemplate the guru is inside, the guru is inside, the guru is outside, the guru is to the left, the right, above and below. <clears throat> I felt waves of emotion. And on these waves, I felt my identification with Nityananda grow and grow. As I walked, I crossed Gandhi Square, where the boundary of the present Sri of Ashram is. <clears throat> they still call it Gandhi Square there? You know? It must be sort of near where um, Rosie's is? Or near, huh? Or near uh, Mustaf? <clears throat> yeah. Where that S turn? <clears throat> anyway. Oh. There my identification, Guru Bhav, became Brahma Bhav, identification with the Absolute. 
So he's worshiping the guru, and it went into the experience of Brahman, of the absolute. Like he's had the full Vedantic experience of cosmic consciousness. Cosmic consciousness. <clears throat> For a moment, I had an intuition of the one and the many, and I lost the ordinary mind that differentiates between the inner and the outer world that sees the many and the one. I went on repeating, Guru Om, Guru Om, with the thought, the Guru is inside, the Guru is outside. And as I said this, the Vedantic doctrine of Brahman, the absolute, which I had studied with various teachers, flashed again within me. So all the, he understood it intellectually, studied it, and now he had the direct experience of oneness. Very much like an LSD trip, this is. <clears throat> How are you doing? Isn't this wonderful stuff? When I, well, I'm going to skip along. <clears throat> Eventually, and then he talks about experiencing chitti beams, seeing consciousness uh, sparkling and uh, in all directions and um, seeing like extraordinary reality right in front of his eyes uh, in, in the material, the divinity in the material. <clears throat> Eventually, I reached the Vedreshwari temple. And so those of you who've been to India know about this temple and those of you who come with us in January, we make a big pilgrimage to the temple. It's about two kilometers, three kilometers from from the village. Um, and it's a marvelous temple high up on a hill, uh, a temple to the goddess. He says, reach the Vajrasri temple, which is sacred to the great Shakti, the mother of yoga, who is known as Vajra Bhavani. And behind her temple is a smaller temple dedicated to Dattatraya. And it was here that I used to stay. I went into the temple and started to worship my guru's sandals and to meditate. I always used to meditate at night. While at Vajrasuri, it had been my routine to go to Ganeshpuri every day, first to bathe and then to have darshan of Gurudev. So early, early in the morning, like four in the morning, he'd walk across the fields and then he'd go into the hot springs, then he'd go see Bhagwan Nityananda. <clears throat> As I did this, my love, devotion, and faith my guru grew and grew. The temple of the goddess Vajrashwari is a place of great spiritual force. <clears throat> is this true, Krishna? That's true. <laughs> 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 One of my favorite places. It's a, um, I don't know how to describe it. We'll see what Baba says. <clears throat> it's a unique Siddhapit. Many Siddha yogis and great sages lived there in ancient times. According to legend, Lord Ram also visited this place. <clears throat> it is surrounded on all sides by hills, and around it there are a number of hot springs whose waters have the power of healing. There is a small river that flows luminously nearby. I had spent a long time under the kind shelter of the divine Mother Vajra, drinking her water and eating her food. Several days passed. One morning as I stood before Gurudev, having his darshan, he gave me some fruit, saying, hmm, and then said, go. 
I was standing, then he spoke again. Go to your hut there at Yola. Yola, stay there. And Yola is the village that he'd been living in since he got to Maharashtra from, came up from the south. And so uh, he's well known in Yola, which is a couple of hundred kilometers from Ganeshpuri. <clears throat> Go to Yola, stay there, knowledge there, meditate. I left feeling rather sad and worried, but I was completely ready to obey my guru's command. More than ever before, I understood the importance of the guru's wish. So he's saying, you don't have to hang around here doing this. Your way is to go by yourself and meditate. And Baba went to his place and meditated many hours a day for a long time, had many, many inner experiences. Baba says, obedience to the guru is itself tapasya, itself japa, itself sadhana. It is one's highest duty, and there's nothing more beneficial to a disciple than obedience to the guru. And, you know, we're so worried about obedience and things like that. But with the guru, obedience to the guru aligns you to the shakti. It's a way of aligning you so that you circumnavigate your bad tendencies and connect to a higher power. He says, um, I believe this with all my heart. Service to the guru is supreme worship, universal worship. So with the understanding that obedience to the guru is the disciple's foremost duty, I set out for Yola the next day. I arrived at Yola, and the next day I left for Suki, where I had a hut for practicing my sadhana. And Tsuki is about a couple of kilometers from Yola. It's out in the fields. And when Baba sent me uh, on a little pilgrimage with my parents back in 1972, uh, one place we visited was Yola. He told us to. And then we went and saw this, the hut that he did uh, sadhana in out there in the field. still there to this day, as far as I know. Uh, <clears throat> My hut faced north between two mango trees, one to the east, the other to the west. All three were waiting for me. I installed the sandals of my guru, ate the fruit he had given me, and sat down to meditate. That's the end of the chapter. And the rest is history. How's that? <clears throat> so cherish your awakening and cultivate it and make it grow. If you give it attention and love, it will grow. If you ignore it, it will shrink. It will never leave you. It will be waiting there for you to remember it. After you've done all the things that are more important, people tell me, oh, I'm so busy, I'm busy, I can't get to the ashram, I'm very, very busy. And uh, I think, well, sure. <clears throat> But when you get tired of all that busy, um, and then you start to cherish what's real in life, which is the inner awakening and the inner self and the inner path. So let's meditate. I don't think there's anything, uh, I thought, you know, of course, every time we have Divya Dikshadin, you know, the, the day of Baba's initiation, I think of that chapter. And then, but then I say, no, 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 no. 
but then I realized I haven't looked at it for a long time because every week time I say no, and yet it's the perfect way to celebrate it. Even if we did it every year, it still would be great, wouldn't it? <clears throat> so in his awakening, I always think all of our awakening is. Just as one seed leads to a million trees, so that, that, that is the seed of all of our awakenings. So in celebrating that, we celebrate our own awakening. And if we can learn from the way Baba cherishes that and honors that, uh, if we can do that ourselves, then we start to live in a different dimension, the dimension that Baba was uh, explaining there. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And you can contemplate that awakening. If you've had the experience of the awakening, contemplate it and meditate on it. If you've never had that awakening, then understand that that capacity that Baba encountered on that day in 1947 exists within us, every one of us. And we may feel very dull, we may feel very mundane, we may feel very stuck in material life, but within us there's a fire waiting to blaze forth and to bring us to another level of reality, another dimension of reality, a much higher and more beautiful dimension of reality. So even if we've never experienced that awakening, contemplate it now within yourself, that power, that potential, that kundalini shakti, that divine power that is just within every one of us. So once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakunat Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <laughs> 